Hello everybody and welcome back to the Catch Kate podcast. Today we are on season four, episode two, and we have another lovely neighbour of mine who I'm going to interview, who also has a very strong connection to nature. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Jenny Nagel. Hello. Hello Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. So Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself? Yep, yeah, I'm I'm Jenny. I'm um, I've been living here in East Cork for uh, twenty four years now, and um, I'm obviously from Melbourne originally. Um, but I left Australia when I was in my early twenties after a zoology degree. So um, zoology was probably my has always been my main love. I'm a nurse now. I work as a practice nurse. But um, I garden. Fabulous. That's a lovely story. And do you go back to Australia much? Not as often as I like because of COVID. But um, I've just come back from seven weeks in Australia. So wow. That was yeah. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> and did you? Would you get any culture shock when you come back, or do you totally just adapt again? No. I, it's amazing, actually. You you feel like I feel like I could be. In both places, no problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your garden. Could you tell us a bit about your garden or how you got into gardening? Was it always a passion of yours? Yeah, I never really... Like, my mum gardens, but she gardens in a very um, ordered way. Um, we had a flat in London, oh, gosh, 25 years, not 20, more than that, probably 30 years ago, and it was just a tiny little yard behind an off-licence and that was the first time I gardened and I literally just got soil from bags and filled up raised beds along the along the wall and I just loved it so every house we moved into after that had a bigger garden and then when I went to Portsmouth to do my nursing there was allotments at the end of the Mm. end of the road so Mm -hmm. I put my name down for an allotment and I got one and so all these old fellas were teaching me how to you know how to plant cabbages and Mm -hmm. potatoes and that sort of thing and I loved it I really loved it so um yeah when when we got here when we when we moved to Ireland we moved into this we bought this cottage pretty soon afterwards and it was a tiny cottage on three quarters of an acre and it was a field Mm. with a few bits of hedging around the front Mm -hmm. um so there's trees now that are are really tall um hedging everywhere lots of garden a pond bees veggies (laughs) and would you say would you do most of the garden work like did you make the pond or do you have any helpers I do most of the I do all of the design stuff and I have all the ideas and then I'll say to Andy Andy (laughs) could you please and he might help me but I'd I'd do the digging you know I'd, I'd dig stuff myself and so That's great. He, he would do more the mowing and the hedge trimming and mm-hmm. yeah maybe coppice some of the trees when they're getting too tall that sort of thing yes lovely and your bees as well how long have you been into beekeeping beekeeping about five years um one of my friends up the road uh, is a beekeeper and I was looking for a present for her she does um, she she did conventional beekeeping and when I was looking for books I found a book about the worry hive which is a hive 
a top bar hive where the bee you just have bars on the top of the mm-hmm. hive and the bees make their own comb so there's no frames no wax nothing mm-hmm. like that and um basically once the bees have filled enough boxes you can take the top box off because the honey is always at the top yes so that's how it works so if they haven't got enough you know if they're not filling enough boxes and you don't take the honey Mm. and folks we just i just had a little tour of jenny's garden and her beehives and they are absolutely fascinating because they don't look like the typical um regular commercial hives you Mm. see they're very natural and you get to see exactly how the bees make the comb so it's absolutely fascinating um and yeah what what would you find the most fascinating about the bee world Oh, I could I could sit in this <laughs> all day. That it's like it's like having a massage or doing yoga. Yeah. It's just so relaxing. I love mm. it, and I just love the way they interact. I mean, it was interesting because when I was in Australia, I saw a flow hive, which is very artificial. Mm. Works yeah. really well. I yes. was very impressed with it, but um, it is very artificial. But watching all the European honeybees in Australia sort of made me a little bit uneasy as well because they're not they're not Australian. Mm. So they might they, people sometimes say beekeepers are putting too much pressure on our on other pollinators. But you sit there, the bees are taking nectar from some trees. The the like the honeybees, the bumblebees are mm. using different things. All yeah. the hoverflies are on something else. You know, yeah. there's so much like yeah. if you plant well, there's yes. so much nectar there. Yeah, you know, especially when you've got trees with pollen, there's yeah, there's plenty. To mm. And as well, I noticed at home the big sycamores, like they must be full of juice because at night, at like nine, ten p.m., the bumblebees, like all the honeybees, are practically gone off. It then, but it's just you can see these black fuzzy things up in the air, and like there is enough for everybody. Yeah, um, and they they go for different things. Yeah, they've all got different mouth parts. So you know, there's a lot of flowers that honeybees can't get to. That other things will be using instead. Yeah, because isn't it the bumble? Yeah, they can pollinate only. There was some vegetable. Was it tomato? One of them, anyway, that they can only get into. It's one of them. Um, but that we like, if we don't have the bumblebee, it can't be pollinated. Mm. So they're all really important. Um, yeah, and what kind of um vegetables are you growing? I grow, um, I've got a tunnel, so I always grow tomatoes. I grow three varieties of tomatoes, and I grow um, courgettes, aubergines, peppers, chilies, salad crops, rocket. Like my, At the moment, this, the one side of the tunnel is really leftover rocket mm. and mustards and, and, pars- and parsley and thyme and yes. you know, herbs and stuff that are always there. But the other side, I've, I've just recently planted up again with my tomatoes, so I, mm. I plant them. In one side, I manure it. Well, I I re I put all the contents of two of my compost bins into the beds every yeah. year, and if it gets too tall, I'll just take some soil out before I put the new compost on. Okay. And I started using a few years ago. I was working more, and I started using that weed suppressant matting, okay. which I plant my tomatoes through that, and I find it works yes. so much better. Yes, it's I tried great. that. Yeah. It, I mean, it doesn't work for things like lettuces and so on so yeah. much because well it probably would if you were more organized than I am but um I tend to do them in a, in a in a patch yeah but big plants that are going to be there all season I'll put through the matting yes and it really saves so much time on weeding mm, I definitely agree mm. and 
with the compost then or the manure are you doing that in the winter or do you do it just I do it all the time I've got three huge big bins at the back which I put a lot of stuff in Um, I do collect horse manure I also collect um, seaweed when it comes in yeah and I've when I've been digging my flower beds I've taken off the top turf and I've rotted those down in bags as well so I've got big ton bags of um, just loam Mm. lying around the garden so I'd use that as well sometimes okay but I've just started this year I'm doing no dig for the first time Good. so um I'm I've got garlic in at the moment I've got asparagus asparagus is my all-time favorite yes. crop and it's such a luxury but I'll get a good few kilos off it every year so that's wonderful Lovely. but um yeah I, I I use the three bins up there and I've also got you know just the classic black um compost bins in front of the tunnel just for handiness and I would put the chook manure in there as well yeah um and I've also the big brown wheelie bin they gave me for food waste I'm using that as a compost bin as well oh, because cut a hole or something I don't yeah. you know I've got chickens and dogs and cats and yeah. the compost so I don't throw any food away anyway yes so. that's great isn't it mm. and what was I going to ask now um, oh, the no dig. Are you using, um, like, what kind of, are you using that compost that you have and then, like, chippings or what are you I using mean, at the side? At the moment, I haven't got, like, I've been away for seven weeks, so it's sort of, I'm, I'm thinking I might put straw around my garlics. Yeah. But to be honest, I was going to do that, but I've got this um, winter purslane that's just self-seeded everywhere and it is causing a blanket, so nothing else is growing. There are yeah. no other weeds and it's a very low-growing weed, so I'm not too bothered about that at the moment. But I was thinking for things, for big things, like, you know, Brussels sprouts and stuff like that, I'd probably mm. put a mulch of straw yeah. or seaweed or something like that. Um, but otherwise, I'm just going to put fresh soil on top, mm-hmm. either soil or compost, depending yeah. on what I'm growing. Like, you yeah. don't want to put rich stuff on the top for carrots, for example. Mm. So, um, you know, I'll just keep topping it up yeah. rather than, you know, Super. digging it like I used to do. Yeah. And I've got a fabulous new tool in, um, <laughs> it's like a Japanese blade. Okay. And it's like, it's like got a trowel handle, but the, the blade scoops around to the left. Yeah. And you can just do this and it cuts all the roots just under the ground, you know. So I've got oh, raised wow. beds everywhere, so... I'm, you know, I can just, I can clear a bed in seconds. It's amazing. Wow. Where did you get this tool? <laughs> it's, it's like just steel. It's made of steel with okay. a sharp blade. And um, I suppose if you were holding the handle, the blade would be facing you, but off to the side. And it's just got this great curve in it. I was looking at it in the Melbourne Garden Show and I was looking at something else. And this couple, this old couple came up behind me and they said, you'll never, ever regret buying that thing. Yeah. And I just went... Oh, okay. I was going to buy that one, but I'll buy this yeah. one. And as soon as I started using it, I was like, "Wow, oh, it's amazing!" Amazing. It's, it's basically like a hand hoe, but it's got such a long blade. You can use it for, for actually cutting through stuff as well. It's amazing. Mm. Wow, that sounds. No idea what it's called. That sounds wonderful. Okay, so. And you said you're working as a nurse as well, and you do the garden. So on the days that you're nursing, will you still get into the garden? Is it a, is it an important part of your day? Oh get... yeah, yeah. Um, I like I only work two and a half days a week. So and in the summer, you know, I might I'll probably water the tunnel before I even go to work, mm. and um, I'll always go out into it when I come home. In fact, Andy would often say he'd be waiting for me to come home, and 
I'd walk up and then I'd go straight up and sit in front of the bees. <laughs> mm. And then I'd go and look and check that everything was watered in the tunnel and so on. And then I'd come inside. So, yeah, I mean, the doors open when I get up to make my cup of tea in the morning and it's, you know, it's the last thing that closes usually. Mm. I, lo- I love the garden. And the windows are huge in the extension that we built purely so that we can see everything mm. outside. It's amazing, isn't it? It is so important because I did find when I had the young kids in a tiny cottage in Ireland, I loved a tiny cottage, mm. but the thick walls and the small windows mm. would be very depressing because you, mm. you couldn't even see the horizon sometimes. Yeah. So it's so nice to see daylight wherever you yeah. are and at night to see starlight. You yes. Know, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think as like humans, I was reading somewhere that like if you're in a refined space and there's not much light, it can actually bring on the stress response that your eyes will adapt. So if you have, when you can see the horizon, it's actually like relaxing for the body. Mm. So you got it there. <laughs> oh, it is. Like, you know, with nursing, sometimes you go to conferences and so on and you're sitting in these rooms and they're just soul destroying. Mm. I have to... You know, everyone will stop and have a cup of coffee and chat. And although I can chat with the best of them, you know, I love mm. having a chat, I have to go outside. Yeah. And I worked in a in another place where you, it was all, in, you know, very formal and um, corporate. And there was a beech tree in the distance. And I used to always find the seat that I yeah. could see the beech tree from, yes. you know, just so mm. you could connect with it a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. have to be able to see outside. Yeah. Oh. And would your would your upbringing have been like that, like your family? Um, well, my dad grew up on a farm. Yeah. And so we used to go, all our holidays were up on the farm. So I've always, I loved that. I mm. really did. And yeah, more, my, my, the rest of my family don't really bother so much. But my dad and I would both be mm. much more outdoorsy sort of people Yeah. than, than the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. And would you have visited the farm when you were young? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time, yeah. yeah. Fab. Yeah, loved it. So who would you say would have been most influential in you getting that kind of connection with nature? Um, I, I don't know. I've always been interested in nature. As much a young more than child, anyone yeah. else. Dad, Dad would be interested in it, I'd say, from the farming side of things. But, um, you know, I, I found a book in when I was 10 in a charity shop and mm. it was about the Serengeti. Mm. So I, I've devoured it and yeah. I was always going to go to the Serengeti, you know. And yeah. and as soon as I, and I did zoology at yes. uni and then we travelled and we went to Africa, mm. uh, me and another friend of mine from zoology, and uh, we spent six months travelling through Africa. But um, I just couldn't get any work in zoology. That's the only thing. Yeah. I could, but it was really poorly paid and I was really broke from travelling. So yeah. I started working in a, in a lab, you mm-hmm. know, which was okay. And nurse, yeah. nursing's great in that I love people. Yeah. But it, it's not, it's not um, you know, you, I'd much rather be gardening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You seem to have the best of both worlds. I do. I'm so lucky that I only have to work part-time, you know. And the, where I do work is fantastic, so... You know, they're a great bunch of people. And it's right in the centre of Cork City, so it's I can go to the English market and then come home and go to the beach, you know. So yes. it's not too bad. Yes, definitely good balance. Mm. And when you studied zoology, did you get to do any, like, amazing kind of trips or studies? Well, we 
practical studies? We didn't go on any big trips. We did um, a lot of studies, like, you know, up to our chests in swamp water, looking at, you know, flying possums and things like right. that. Because obviously it was in Australia, so mm. it's all, you know, marsupial-based yes. um, studies. So it was it was great, yeah. Like, we did a lot of field trips and, you know, looking at, you know, insects in the bottom of a stream here and, you know, doing a, a count of mammals there so yeah lots of field trips but not like exotic not you know obviously yeah. komodo dragons in indonesia <laughs> or anything like that there was actually our university did have um they were one of the universities looking at the colonization of um god what was the i forgot the name of the volcano but there's a volcanic island off indonesia okay. and the last major volcano volcanic eruption was in like the 1890s and naturalists have been documenting all the colonization of that wow. island. So our university was doing that, but you only did it if you were a master's student. You didn't do it just mm. as an undergraduate. Cool. So, so we'd learn about that, but we wouldn't actually. We didn't actually go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't anyway. Yeah. 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 Um. Very interesting. Oh. I'd say zoology is so interesting. Oh, it is. But, you know, it's one of those wonderful things that you can do it even, you know, yeah. even as a hobby. Like yeah. You can always be involved in it. So I was always in Friends of the Earth or, yes. you know, Greenpeace and stuff like that. Yeah. So I've been involved in that since my early 20s. So Yeah. And that we used to campaign against logging and so on in in Tasmania when I was, you know, 17, 18. Mm. So it's always been something in my mind. And it's just amazing to me that um, the world is in the state it's in now because we were taught it was going to happen. I know. Thirty years ago. Yes. So it's, it's, not, been, it's not a surprise. No. People are just clicking on now, but it's been said. Yeah. It's just people didn't check in or really listen. Well, the policies weren't there to make mm. it easy, you know, like with all the psychopaths now, and you know, farmers are getting incentives to plant pollinating belts and so on i mean mm-hmm. that should have all happened 30 years ago mm. but it, 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 it is happening and it is actually improving like mm. this garden has so many insects i mean i'm just overwhelmed by how many insects yes. there are every time you shift something it's like a, a cloud of insects yes. you know? but and if you read one of the most inspirational books i read recently was the book wilding by isabella tree and okay. if you haven't read it you have to read it and it's this um, couple who inherited a three and a half thousand acre estate in the UK, mm. south of London, and they had they tried to farm uh, commercially, and they became more and more and more me- mechanized and so on. And in the end, they just gave up, partly because their oak trees, these ancient, ancient, like four or five hundred year old oak trees, were dying, mm. and they got an expert in to have a look at it, and he said it's because you're farming right up to. The, the trees, you know, mm. you're not letting the microzyte, you know, the, yeah. the, the, mycelium. the mycelium and so on um, proliferate. So they really had a sea change and they've rewilded the whole three and a half thousand acres. They've blocked land drains, they've wow. let species um, colonize themselves, and they have um, an, a really ancient type of cattle. They have Exmoor ponies and they have Tamworth pigs roaming free. So they actually have safaris. Wow. with these animals and um the nightingales you know were almost 
gone from the UK. They've got, I think, they, I think this year they've got something like fifty breeding pairs. Wow. Of nightingales just on that estate, so it can change so quickly, and that's mm. in the last sort of fifteen twenty years. So it, wow. If everything did, you yeah. know, improve, yeah, there will be massive improvements. Quickly. Yeah, I think when it's left alone, it can just boom. It can take off, like mm. you know, it really can. Um, that's amazing. And in your journey um, to becoming a great gardener and beekeeper, what resources would you say have helped you? Like you said, this book was great. Any other yeah, things? Well, the book is really about, it's very encouraging. There's so much doom and gloom about, yeah. you know, the environment. I found this one was absolutely so inspiring. There's another one called Feral, which I'm halfway through, which is very good as well. Um, which is more about how we look at the world, which is really, really interesting. But um, really, it's it's friends and fellow gardeners, you know, yeah. like, as you know, this road. <laughs> yeah. I'm so lucky with my neighbours yeah. and my friends. So, and one of my, one of the girls I met when I first came here was a head gardener at Ballymaloo Cookery School. Oh, wow. And she's an organic gardener. So um, Amazing. I, I got a lot of knowledge and plants. Yay! I was very, very lucky. So, you know, is she living on this road? <laughs> no, she used to live around the corner, but now she lives. But I still see her all the yes. time. So, um, so that's been fabulous for knowledge and just advice and so on. But I think you know we just encourage each other mm. around here. We really, yeah. we're all doing the same thing, really. Yes, mm. and you mentioned as well that you planted some trees across the road was it yeah well again you know the government are giving farmers uh incentive to plant to leave areas go wild yeah so um, my neighbor up the road has has some land and she cut off a section of the field across the road so we've improved the hedges we've pulled out a lot of brambles not all the brambles because you know brambles are natural as well so we'll go through the hedge lo- the hedge line which was just brambles basically yes. with a couple of old hawthorns and anywhere around the bottom of the old hawthorns i've left it and anywhere where there was a burrow i left it but mm. otherwise i pulled up the brambles and we've planted i think 250 native um hawthorn you know, uh, bird cherry, uh, wild cherry, crab apple. You know, all sorts of things up the up the hedge. Yes. And we've done the in the front. We've done the same, mainly yeah. with blackthorn, whitethorn, and you know the odd other specimen tree. And then Sinead's done the same on the boring at the back with the hawthorn. Wonderful. So it, just to restore that hedge as well. Yeah, that so sounds I, amazing. We've been watching that, and then I've planted some fruit trees and some hazel and. And again, more native trees over there. But um, I think I'm sort of tending more towards letting things find their own place, though. Like, once we've improved that, there should be enough pollen and nuts and so on going on. And just see what happens Yeah. for the rest of it. Leave it off. Yeah. <laughs> on the journey yeah. of life. Yeah. Amazing. So you mentioned the farmer's grant. I heard somebody talk the other day about... Um, a herd number so a lot of farmers would have herd numbers for cattle and now you have to have a herd number if you have cattle yeah yeah like you have to have one but now apparently they're swapping that for like um like bee like they're calling it 
like be heard numbers, something like this anyway. For bees? Yes. Okay. So now apparently I was told, well, I need to research it, but that um, it's happening already. I haven't got any information yet, but that they're swapping now. They're not getting any more cattle because it's so laborsome as well. And then they're just getting bees. I've heard of people down in Kerry and this and that. So I need to check it up because they're saying it's happening down there. So you're saying... Are you saying that you need to have a herd number if you have bees? Or are you saying that cattle farmers are getting into bees? Yeah, basically those who have had herd numbers for cattle have now gotten rid of the cattle. And they've been now able to apply for a number for bees. Okay. It's like a different... I don't know. Like a, a, application a grant. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you could probably I mean you could probably get a grant for bees if you're a commercial beekeeper. Yeah. But I'm commercially commercial uh take what you need and have a few jars for people yeah. for Christmas if there's enough for the bees. I don't feed my bees. I don't yeah. give them any sugar and water. I, if they haven't got enough honey for you know, if they haven't got enough honey to spare, I don't take any. Yeah. So, you know, I went years without having any honey from my bees, so... Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the season. Yeah. And at the moment, um, me and Jenny were chatting earlier as we were looking at the hives. Um, swarms have begun. Um, so would you have any advice to anybody walking around, what they might look out for? Oh, absolutely. Now, swarms swarms happen you know it's the way bees reproduce and um, commercial beekeepers would go through their hives generally every seven to nine days and kill all the queen cells to stop their hives from reproducing because if the hives do swarm they take an enormous amount of honey with them you yeah. know so when you see a swarm in the in off a tree or off a lab post or wherever then it's usually a big bundle of bees. They're full of honey. They don't want to sting you. They're just looking for somewhere to live. And maybe where they were looking to live has changed, you know. So they're having to look somewhere else and they'll stay there until they find somewhere to go. So what I do is I've got several um, bait hives around the place so that there is somewhere for the bees to go. But if you do find bees sort of gathering and thinking of going into your eaves or whatever, you need to tell you need to tell a beekeeper immediately, and they can come and stop that from happening before they infiltrate it. You know. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to let, you know, you don't want to let have bees in your roof or anything like that. But I mean, bees do need to swarm yeah. to reproduce. Yeah. Unless we do it artificially for them. And I read another incredibly good book by um, Tom Seeley called Lives of Bees. I think I lent it to you last year. It's absolutely astounding. And he's, he'd be the, a huge, world-renowned expert on bees always. And very much a commercial beekeeper. But his way of thinking has really come back to, we do need to let them swarm. You know, it, we can't be altering them all the time. Bees do need to swarm. So the, the important thing is to have hollow trees and yes and you know bait hives out so that if they do swarm they've got somewhere to go and they don't go into someone's you know mm. eaves or whatever and have you tried or looked into the hollow wood or oh, hollow? i have i've been to i've been to our local woodman <laughs> and i have begged him that if he ever finds any big hollow trees to you know leave me a, a so so long about two meters long and i will take it away and turn it into a, a log. And I, I think 
some friends of mine have done it. And there's a guy up in Donegal who does do it. You can buy a log hive. Mm. And he sells them on, on stilts. And he puts a bit of doweling through. And, you know, I've seen people on YouTube, you know, chainsawing holes in the middle of logs and and making log hives. And another guy, Hugh Fernley Whittingston um, from River Cottage in the UK, he's just erected one. I just saw him on Instagram. He's just erected a, a log hive as well okay. up on stilts. So they're, they're fabulous things. So I'm certainly not the first one to think about it. Yes. But um, there was also a girl I heard of who was doing a master's project and she was making bait hives to put in domestic gardens, you know, to stop that people could buy, like a bird box. Yeah. That people could buy a bait mm. hive for their garden, never to harvest honey, but just to have yeah. a habitat for bees to rest mm. in. Yeah, because you mightn't need to even do anything at all. Just no. leave them at it. No, because if the bees, you know, generally, like I, I walk up to my bees all the time with no bee equipment yeah. at all, no nets, no gown or anything. If I'm doing, if I'm taking a box of honey off them, I'll wear my suit, absolutely, yes. and I will get stung and they will get angry. But generally, yeah. if you're just walking past a beehive, they don't, yeah. they're not bothered by you at all. They're chilled. Yeah. And do you think it's hard to find the hollow wood? Yeah. Cause the woodman say that? Well, yes, he, I mean, you need big trees to, to fall down. Like generally they use quilter forests, you know, and mm. they're just grown, cut, grown, cut. There's no yeah. hollow wood. It's very. It's getting better. They are starting to leave old trees, and and that's again the government who's you know making them do that. But that's partly why I love the field over the road. There's a row of about twelve really old ash trees with holes in them. Yeah. And you know traditionally farmers would cut off any old limb and mm. so on, and they've actually been encouraged to do that. Yes. And they've been encouraged oh, to yes. farm right to the edge of the field. So yes. it's not like they're the evil, you know, no. farmers. I mean, they've been penalised for mm. not farming right to yeah. the edge of the field, penalised for leaving any scrap ground, yes. you know. I know. So luckily that seems to be changing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's it's unsafe. You could get sued if an old limb lands on you, on someone, if they're walking through your field, you know. So yeah. people just, it's crazy. they cut down old trees and they really should be left. They're, they're an essential part of Nature. the ecosystem. Yeah. Definitely. And would you have any um, kind of easy um, advices for people if they want to better take care of nature or what kind of bit they could do? I suppose reduce the amount of plastic, reduce the amount of chemicals, you know, use refills if you can. But that's the best thing. I think pesticides, herbicides are probably Mm -hmm. one of the worst things and the amount of plastic in the world. Yeah. So if you can reduce that, do. If you can buy organic, do, but it can be much more expensive. Mm. Um, the only thing, if you're not buying organic, is peel your carrots and your and your apples because they're allowed to spray worse stuff on those than they are on a lot of things. So, and it, it stays in the skin. So you know, if you can't, if you can only afford to buy two things organic, buy organic carrots and apples. Oh, that's a really good tip. <laughs> and do you know why they are allowed that? It's just because the weeds are bad. I don't know. I think and maybe... apples. I'm like apples. Like yeah. why would you be spraying apples? Is they it to do. prolong the life? It's not just to prolong the life. It's also an an anti pest okay. thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't grow apples commercially. I'd say you know, yeah. I, I get tons of apples most years, but yeah. Because I don't understand with carrots, because the weeds are crazy. Mm. But 
apples, you know. But yeah. and, and that could have changed. That, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. I, I was told that. Yeah. You know. No, good eight idea. Years ago, and I thought, well. Yeah. I'll, and especially I'll, I'll with especially with berries as well. Like I was taught, like eat oranges or something with a really hard skin, so that there's not much getting through. Like who knows? But yeah, like if if you're gonna buy berries, buy organic berries because yeah. you don't know what they're. The skin is with. so thin. And like if I don't pick mine on the day, the raspberries, for example, you know they're gone. You have yeah. to pick them and freeze them. That pick them, day. eat them. Pick them, eat them. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I usually freeze a huge bag so I can have them in my porridge and stuff. Yes. My, my um, smoothies. And do you do anything else, um, hobby wise or for fun? Yeah, I um, I paint. Yes. And I do stained glass, well, not stained glass windows, lead lighting. Wow. And um, I like traveling. Lovely. Yeah, and I've got some really good friends around, so we do socializing. Yes. And pizzas, you know. Yes. And you have a pizza oven as well, we right? Do. Yeah, made by a friend down the road out of Cobb. Wow. Yeah. And you definitely make use of it. We do. It's yes. Friday night is pizza night generally. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the way everywhere. Friday yeah. night is pizza night. Yeah. Yummy. And what would actually be your favorite, your best kind of pizza you'd put in there? I love, um, I love capers and aubergines and um, courgettes, and I do like some really good prosciutto mm. and mozzarella or yeah some sort of nice cheese wow but um so there's a lovely pizza that a lot of friends make is um, a white pizza with really thin slices of potato and um garlic mm. and just oregano and um and sounds um, amazing and no tomato at all and it's it's absolutely amazing uh, i might just come for a pizza night <laughs> please <laughs> Um, yes, and could you tell me a bit about the, so it's LED, LED? It's or... LED, no, LED, LED, okay. LED lighting, because the glass is held together by um, LED cane, it's called, C-A-M-E, okay. and it's in the shape of, an, of a H, so you put the LED in yeah. between the slots, so when you're making it, you put the, you know, you'll have some there and then you put the glass in and then you'll put the lead over and you solder the corners and then you put some wow. more in and you solder it on. So you do a design first and then you cut all the glass and then you you put it all into the lead. And folks, I'm actually just looking at the glass here. Um, different bits of glass in the room from a clock to a window and they're just amazing. And do you have a special workshop? You do this? We, we again, with my neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> One of my neighbours' dads um, from Australia, he does it professionally. Okay. So he'd come over quite often and he did a workshop for us up, up the road in the barn. Yeah. And there was about eight of us, all cool. with big tables, and yeah. we all learned how to do it. So uh, some of our equipment is still up there, but okay. I've got a lot of glass here at the moment because I've done a couple of more pieces. I did some garden sculptures last year. One of them I need to fix, actually. I was going to do that today, but the bees were, took priority in yeah. the end. Um, but, yeah, we, we do it. I can do it here just by myself, but sometimes we do it as a group yeah. as well. And do you need, like, goggles and stuff? Or is this isn't, probably. like... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't use them, but you, you probably should have goggles. Um, yeah. You should probably have gloves because it's lead yeah. and it's poisonous. So certainly don't put it in Are there sparks? No. no, am I thinking of something you use else? Solar, yeah. Right, whereas um, 
you're thinking of um, welding. Okay. So there's definitely sparks <laughs> with that. Welding, so, yes. Yeah, welding <laughs> is, is different. Yeah. Cool. And what would be a wacky fact about you? Or something wacky we don't know? Oh, I don't know. Um, I can't think of anything wacky. I'm sure there are. <laughs> okay, what about what's like a really unusual place you visited that maybe we haven't been? I think my favourite place I ever went, and you won't have been because it's changed its name and it's okay. been war zone since I was there, was um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which used to be called mm. Zaire. Wow. So that was the best yeah. place. Our, our truck used to get bogged all the time and I used to walk ahead. Yeah. And you'd be walking along just with villagers. Mm. And um, you'd walk away and you'd go into someone's house and they'd give you an orange or something like that. And then about three o'clock in the afternoon, some kids would come running in. Blah, 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 blah. And the, um, in very broken English, you'd find out that the truck's still bogged, so you better make your way back again because it's not going to catch you up. So wow. You <laughs> so mean broken down, is it? Again. Yeah, or, okay. just, or stuck in the mud yes, or something yes, like yes. that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was the best place. I How long been. did you spend there? About a month. Wow. Travelling through from... It's a big country. Yeah. Was this before you lived in Ireland? Oh, or? God, yeah. This was, this was a long time ago. This was yeah. 92. Did you go alone? Or? No, I went with my disability friend. Oh, <laughs> cute. Yeah. That's amazing. Maybe one day I'll get there, huh? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It, But it's been a disaster that that particular country's had a lot of wars. It's still having wars. I mean, this is where there's a lot of genocide and so on. It was next to Burundi and Rwanda. Mm. Um, and that, that, that all erupted the year after I was there. You could actually hear gunshots sometimes. Yeah. In various places. And it was... But it was, oh, gosh, it was a beautiful place. Yeah. And really lovely people. Like mountains and... Yeah, that's where... Sea? Is there gorillas. sea there? No, it's no. landlocked, but there's gorillas. And wow. the Congo River goes wow. through it. This massive big river. It could be a kilometre wide. Crocodiles. Oh, yeah. No yeah. swimming in there, so... Oh, you could. You just, they're freshwater crocodiles. They're not as bad as Australian. <laughs> you, you're probably able to go down and wrestle them, are you? <laughs> no, the salt, Did you get that training the in school? The saltwater ones are, are much more scary. Okay. They're up in northern Australia, yeah. Okay. You right. wouldn't go swimming there. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, amazing. I'll have to look into that, the Congo. Yeah. Um, and maybe on a final note, between all your veggies and fruits, what's your best kind of recipe you make? Or what's your favourite? I think my favourite recipe, which never fails, is from the Green and Blacks cookbook, and it's chocolate beetroot cake. Mm. It's so good. It's always moist. It's really dark, and wow. it's delicious, and it's it's my go-to. If anyone wants a cake, yeah, I do the chocolate beetroot cake. Yes, I want a cake. <laughs> I want a cake now. <laughs> oh, um, lovely. That's fab. Um, so we might kind of finish up there. Would okay. you like to add anything else? Or... Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so folks, thanks for tuning in. That was Jenny. And we'll chat to you all very soon next week. And if you like the episode, give it a share. And as always, you can support on Patreon. Ciao.